Kudos to Papa. Kudos to Papa. Um, I always know when we're talking about feelings because Dad gets really quiet. Yes. <laughs> yes. But he does have this little smile on his face, and it's a contented look. So I know by his body language sometime that he's on the same page. Mm-hmm. I also know by, um, uh, is he grunting or is he giggling? <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes when I ask him questions, I have to say, is that a yes grunt or a no grunt? Well, that's why we started the podcast. So we'd have an outlet for our feelings so we don't have to burden you with them as much, Dad. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a new one, but I endorse it highly, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman, psychologist and family therapist and supportive endorser of her daughter, me, Rebecca. And this is a very special Father's Day episode of Advice from Mom. And who is that guy you just heard? Well, that is the love of Mama Bee's life and my amazing dad. I promise you that he will do much more than just groan and chuckle during his special Father's Day episode. And for our listeners who have heard about my sperm donation origin story in episode 23, The Mystery of Dr. T., You already know that there's one man responsible for my biology and another man responsible for my fathering, Jerry Bortman. Today, you are going to be hearing from Jerry B. himself, or to keep up with our naming schema, Papa B. And for those of you who are like, hey, Becky B., what's the update on your mystery? Thank you for writing in for the kind words and support. And we're actually working on an episode, a full update episode. More on that at the end of the show. But for this episode, I want to bring you in on our favorite family activity. Well, actually, our absolute favorite is probably drinking tiny bottles of wine in this gazebo by my parents' house. Okay, so second favorite. And that is listening to my dad's stories. He recently started writing his memoirs, and he's lived a pretty adventurous life in his 81 years so far. He spent the majority of his career working for the military in a developing field called technology transfer, where they would take new things invented at government research labs and find other helpful uses for them in either other parts of the government, military, or for us civilians. My favorite example is the MRI. My dad actually got to work closely with the inventor. He also was John Glenn's stand-in in a centrifuge one day, He helped the FBI use night vision to find Patty Hearst. My absolute favorite is how my dad once wrote a song on banjo about his love for his field technology transfer, which actually went where all good banjo love songs should go, the congressional record. I am so not kidding you. And I guess you can now see where I get my jingle jeans. Mm-hmm. Ring-a-ding. For Father's Day, we're focusing on just one of my dad's stories, one that I think offers a lot of good perspective and advice, specifically for those times when we need to speak up against wrongdoing at the workplace, aka whistleblowing. This story goes some crazy places, a hidden back room, the secret files of a classified military agenda, the race to the moon, and even the Me Too movement. Our story begins in the early 1960s, when my dad was only 24. He had started out working for the Naval Air Development Center, 
Maybe you're thinking like, what's the Navy doing in the air? I thought the Navy was about boats. Okay, well, spread the word. They got a lot of planes on those boats. That's Actually, that was my dad's job at the time. It was to spread the word. He wrote a lot of press releases. And this story begins with one such press release. The story that I was writing was about an electronic device that one of our inventors had discovered and had patented. And it was a story about a device that could measure whether a person was alive or not, even on a battlefield or in a hospital. And I needed to get a release from the department head, a Dr. Von Beck, to make it publicly available. Usually all I had to do was either just make a call to that office or walk over to it, usually in another building. We had several buildings involved, and uh, get the okay that they were willing to release this story to the public of what good technology was coming out of some of the military work we were doing. So here it is, lunchtime. I walk into the office, and I expected to see him, who I only barely recognized, or his secretary. And she would hand it to him and get it back to me later. But neither of them were there. And I thought, well, I'll just leave it in his office. Simple, with a note telling them who I was and what I was looking for. Well, I walked into his office. It turned out to be his outer office. And it was empty. And I looked around for his desk and uh, didn't find it. And then assumed, well, he must have been in another room. So I, I walked through the outer office and spotted a inner door, doorway to what was apparently his private office and knocked on the door, no answer, walked in, expecting to just leave this note on his desk. But once I got in there, I couldn't believe my eyes because the walls around his office were filled with these documents, diplomas, awards, and they were all in German with a German swastika for something he was proud of while he was a Nazi. Okay, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there, and um, I'm going to make you talk about feelings. As a young Jewish man, we've had relatives who died in the Holocaust. How did that feel to walk into an office covered with Nazi paraphernalia? Well, I was kind of shocked. I couldn't understand how someone has been in a high position at a military base and that no one had discovered it. And I now had discovered it and decided, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get this guy <laughs> and uh, decided I didn't want to mention it to anybody at the base. I wasn't sure what he, what he would do, but I also knew that I was risking my job in disclosing this, but I was, I was going to go ahead and do that and see where things went. I decided I would only tell my cousin who was active in Anti-Defamation League, which is a unit that investigates Nazi criminals in this country and tries to 
disclose them to the public and get the person either out of the, their current position or even out of the country? Let me let me ask you a question, Jer. Um, were you also outraged when you saw that incredible display of evidence? Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's what my next step was to come back to his office with a camera and get the evidence. That's I knew it was absolutely the first step I needed to do. So I came back a few weeks later with the camera at lunchtime. Fortunately, he was gone again. I was able to get into the inner office. And then to my surprise, everything had been cleaned out of that office. There wasn't a shred of evidence of any of his background in that office at that point. Part of me was not so sure that he had done anything wrong, but why he was bragging about the Nazi stuff and why he was bragging about why he was in the, with the Nazis still stunned me. And uh, it wasn't until for a month or two later that I was making a trip to Washington, D.C. and was visiting the National Archives and I was doing some uh, background work on my family and what, what ships they came over to get into the United States and so forth. In the, in the lobby of the National Archives, there was a huge exhibit on concentration camps. And as I was looking at that exhibit, I saw a row of pictures of men uh, with, with parachutes on that were obviously dead. And I had to read the story to find out that the Luftwaffe was using these Jewish inmates in concentration camps and flying them at different altitudes to find out when they died, literally, of lack of oxygen. And Dad, we should add here that seeing on these documents that the Luftwaffe was involved was so damning because a lot of the documents you had seen in that secret office yeah. were also from the Luftwaffe. And these were photographs. Fortunately, the Germans had did a lot of record-keeping and photographing of what they were doing. The Germans thought it was documentation for their purposes, and then you used it for your purposes. That's right. And at that point, I got even angrier, of course, at him and realized, okay, the Luftwaffe was involved. And he was involved. Uh, and again, I didn't know how he had got this high position at our Navy base. And what did you do from there? I started quietly asking about his situation at the center. And I found out that he was retiring quickly. He was claiming a medical retirement and was going to leave the area. And that's what he did before we had done anything through the ADL and others to expose him. And uh, I don't know whether anything happened to him except he lost that job and disappeared. Would have liked to gotten him punished and exposed very widely, but he, he wasn't. He just quietly left and quickly left the military. Yeah, it's hard to know what happened behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And dear listeners, there's much more to this story. 
much more that was happening behind the scenes. Much of it bigger than my dad ever imagined. It's going to get galactic, as Mama B likes to say. But first, we have to take a quick break and hear a jingle from one of Mom's favorite things to snack on. RX Bars. Guess who's sponsoring this episode, Mama? Ooh, tell me, tell me. RX Bars. All right, yes. They got new flavors and nut butter. (laughs) Oh, good, good. Does that mean they liked us or? Oh, I think they really liked sending you samples. They liked it so much they want to send all our listeners samples. So uh, you want to remind listeners why you like RX Bars so much? Um, It's fabulous protein. It's delicious. I think it's sweetened with dates. Yes, each bar has in it two dates. Or as I'm sure they joke down at RX headquarters. A bar that's great for double dates. <laughs> RX bars are smart to chew because RX bars are good for you. Get your protein without that stress. Says right there on the label, no BS. RX bars already comes in 11 delicious flavor varieties. But as of last month, they introduced three new flavors. Mango pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. They also introduced RX nut butter. Made from the same core ingredients as RX protein bars, this new nut butter includes a base of nuts, either peanuts or almonds, egg whites, and dates. Available in honey cinnamon peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. Nut butter to the rescue. Protein power. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash pickleball and enter the promo code pickleball at checkout. For a limited time, every order will receive free samples. Free sample offer ends June 30th. All right, back to the stories. So this mystery of Dr. Von Beck actually haunted my dad for many years. Whenever he could, he was doing research on him and trying to find out who is this guy and how did he end up working for the U.S. military? And one time, he was in the archives at the Holocaust Museum, and he found a file on Dr. Von Beck. But it wasn't just one file. It was connected to a whole collection of files about a secret government initiative. The box belonged to an author. That was Linda Hunt, who was a CNN investigator, had discovered this project. It was called... uh, Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip. And that she, using the uh, Federal Freedom of Information Act, was collecting documents from the military that were now publicly available that showed that they were actually recruiting these high German and Nazi uh, researchers. Scientists. and Scientists. And encouraging them to come to the United States and work in the, for the military and for NASA. And she wasn't very much praised for what she was doing. People thought that the military could do what they could do to get these high scientists over here. And why, Dad? It was, it was about Russia, right? Yeah, it was about Russia. We were, we were in the uh, competition with them to get to the moon. And we're finding out that the Russians were after these German scientists and were also recruiting them. So they made it a high priority, even keeping it from the president at the time. 
Harry Truman. And uh, recruited these guys, hundreds and hundreds of them, in military bases around the country, including our, our own, the one that I worked for, the Naval Air Development Center outside of Philadelphia. The book that Linda Hunt had written disclosed this whole secret project. The president eventually found out what was going on, and he put out an executive order making it impossible for anyone in this country to hire these ex-Nazis. And most of them were removed from those positions. Was it hard to work, continue working for the military after you I mean, I know this was over years that you found out the complete story about Operation Paperclip, but just even knowing that they employed this Nazi and that he had a secret office where he could, you know, somebody had to go in there and somebody else had to see it. Anyone, you know, even just be mad at his secretary. Or the people that come and clean that area. They never noticed this. They never spoke up about it. Or did our, our management know about it? That one was never resolved. From the standpoint of the administrative people within that center, I think they probably did know about it, but were just um, loyal and sworn to secrecy and considering it that it was an important thing for our government to do. That's why they decided to do it and then kept the secret. And I think a lot of people would would fall into that kind of thinking. Right. It was more important for us to get to the moon, to beat the Germans and the Russians, to getting to the moon, and nothing would stand in their way, even if some of the people that we were hiring to do this were criminals. I mean, this story is, it's hard to stomach, right? It's its a difficult story in general, but... The thing that I love about it is how you behaved, Dad, and how honorable it is that you felt strongly enough to take these actions, even though it might have meant your job, and that doing right in the world is something that's very important to you, and I really admire that in you. Well, I guess it's a, it's a trait of our family, and you have helped to uh, disclose many Discussions with women, particularly, who have had incidents of abuse. And uh, it, it's getting that information out. And it's starting to make a change, we hope, in our society. Why oh, I'm proud of you guys, what you're doing with this podcast. You're getting people to speak up about issues that uh, they're, they may be having a hard time, whether it's abuse or or not getting credit for something that they get, that some other person, mostly men, will get credit for, and, and women will get paid less and be... Dad, I think you're a feminist. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of the things that was very appealing about Jerry when I met him. Mm-hmm. Happy Feminist Father's Day. Happy Feminist Father's Day. I think this idea of speaking up is really important, but also to call out that, Dad, you did it in a sophisticated way, right? You didn't just go around the office yelling like, he's a Nazi. (laughs) Look at all this. Come here. Look. You know, like that would have gotten you deemed a crazy man and probably wouldn't have gotten uh, your mission achieved. But 
by kind of spreading the news in a more quiet way, it maybe happened more swiftly. Uh, I was surprised how quickly it happened, and I was happy to see it happen. And uh, it, it didn't become big news even at the Navy Center I was working at at the time. It, it was quietly done. It just disappeared. I uh, It points up uh, in my mind how often there are secrets within either a family or an organization and how the secrets can be problematic and uh, that, you know, disclosing the secret, which is really in a way the whole deal with Me Too, disclosing those secrets can really bring a, a brand new energy and a brand new light to people's efforts to make it right. Yeah. And it's not too late for the story to be written right. That's right. Because the other powerful message from from both your story, Dad, and so many stories of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Mama, with that in mind, I wanted to ask you a few questions about what people can do to fortify themselves in these situations at their own workplace. My old faithful answer is, first of all, to protect yourself. You can bring protection to yourself by documenting. If you're in a situation, for example, where you're not sure that somebody's behavior is appropriate or inappropriate, document the day, the time. Uh, There might be anybody else who witnessed it. And um, in that way, you have your own personal journal to help you. Uh, Protect yourself also in that if you are planning, say, to turn somebody in, you know, do a kind of whistleblow that be very sure that your support system around you is very solid because you can pretty much be sure that that big organization is going to have lots and lots of tools to defend themselves. In some cases, I might not even suggest that you go up against the system. Maybe try to get out of the system. And once you're out of the system, you'll be much more protected, for example. Um, I had an example some years ago when I was working for a hospital and there was something very, very uh, unethical, immoral, and downright dangerous going on. And the system definitely covered it up with the help of the legal system. And uh, in the meantime, when I was thinking about speaking up, I did talk to, of course, my husband and our lawyer and a professor who taught in the same field as this particular hospital specialized the specialty. And finally, I talked to my therapist, Geraldine. And Every one of them said, no, do not challenge this system. And even though it was very, very hard for me to uh, look the other way, if you will, and not do anything at that moment, uh, I believe it was the right decision. I'm always in favor of the individual 
you know, remembering that in the process of whistleblowing or whatever you want to call it, you it could destroy you personally. And uh, of course, that's why we see so many of the women who had had very uncomfortable situations with their bosses, uh, with men in power, but never for years and years and years, never said a thing. So I think it's a tough decision. You should certainly get real good input from people who um, have your back. And uh, I know for me, I, I felt very guilty for years after that because it was so traumatic for me. I even considered leaving the field, leaving the field of psychology because of it. And uh, I'm so glad I did not. Well, I guess it makes a lot of sense to me now because in several of our episodes, you've said that when an individual goes up against a system, the system usually wins. And I know I always tell you that that sounds really pessimistic. And you always tell me, I'm being realistic. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you, digging more into this idea of being sophisticated and strategic in the way that people speak up, Sure, it sounds like one of the things on the table is whether they should even speak up. Yes, I think that's true. So how do you figure out if something really is a wrongdoing? Like when dad was talking about, you know, he wasn't sure at first whether Dr. Von Beck had done something wrong or just was, you know, in the company of Nazis and that in itself was wrong— Similarly, I think a lot of people get feelings about things like they don't know if something's quite right at work, but like, are there ways you can figure out Mm -hmm, if it's mm -hmm. the case that something is amiss? I I guess the first answer I have is to keep digging. And if you get resistance, then it's probably an indicator that you're digging (laughs) onto something important. So, but I think, uh, again, it's, I I see things as individual decisions about how to proceed. Yeah. I think when we, when we did our mom two episode, you were talking about how, uh, the way that these, uh, these people in power that are abusing it stay in power is that everyone else stays quiet. So it's, it's almost realizing what is the cycle that allows this to perpetuate And how do you make the first step towards fortifying yourself, which might be finding the other people, the other allies at work, and discreetly connecting with them in a way that they can help you, they can back you up. Very well said. Uh, That's a good description. I mean, I think, first of all, we have to be solid in our own right and know that, you know, so-and-so has my back. When you talked about the situation that you were in that where you ended up not speaking up, but you you were kind of evaluating whether you wanted to speak up. Yes. Mm-hmm. You were like assessing the risk of that situation, assessing whether you wanted to blow the whistle. Yes. And uh, I'll tell you another piece that um, played a role in my decision-making is that in this particular city, a lot of people agreed that the legal system would definitely back up whatever the hospital wanted them to back up. In, in other words, that, you know, how, how you say it, they were in bed together or they, they you know, the 
they were allies or however you want to say it. And, and that's often the case. So there is certain, you know, you have to assess the context and, this, and the uh, setting. Well, how, do, how does the whistle ever get blown if people are so focused on that, though? Well, that's the answer is it takes a long time. And the, the, the few people like, uh, <laughs> what's the name of the outrageous but wonderful woman who, uh, who is, uh, you know, challenging uh, Trump right now? Uh, Elizabeth Warren? Uh, no, I'm sorry. The one who he had the affair with? Oh, <laughs> you know, Stormy Daniels. She's very ballsy. I mean, you know, let's face it. It's, Mom, she's got great ovaries. She's not balls. It's <laughs> sorry, ovaries. Sorry. Yes. Let, let's get our terminology and our metaphorical language correct here. <laughs> but I mean, you know, she's and she's got one. I, I don't know if you've heard her attorney talk, but boy, he's he's a, as much a spitfire as she is. Yeah, I don't. I think you can't actually turn on the TV without seeing her attorney talk. Yeah. So um, that that do you do you kind of get some evidence right there? Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the maybe one of the practical tips then is to look at other cases of whistleblowing. You know, mm-hmm. like what are mm-hmm. other situations? Mm-hmm. And she certainly is someone who's had to be very bold and has been through the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, we we've we've said that. The process might be a lot longer than people expect. They should evaluate first whether the first step is really to evaluate whether this is a good idea. Yes. And maybe look at some other other sources of of this kind of whistle whatever kind of whistleblowing you're considering doing and to get a realistic view of how long it takes. I think that's the other thing that uh, I've been really struck by is like oftentimes the difference between uh, people who think something is really easy to do and something that is really hard to do is an understanding of the time that it takes. Like, what if something like this takes 10 years? Yes. And, and in the meantime, you're not able to get a job. Right. In, 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 your, in your field because everybody's afraid that you'll do the same thing to them. And that, believe me, that was certainly one of the ideas that kept a lot of women back. Mm-hmm. And what if you're a single mom and you definitely need the income? Yeah. <sighs> okay, well, let's just, let's just say that you decide you're going to take this, this path of whistleblowing. How, how do you fortify yourself, you know, knowing that it might be a really long haul? Well, um, eating well, sleeping well, just making yourself real sturdy you know if you can if you possibly can and with with all the stress that people have sometimes that's not at all possible so but um yeah i i guess in general i would not recommend it uh whistleblowing (laughs) okay well we'll leave it at that a story from dad where whistleblowing in one form or another was the right thing to do, and a story from you where it turns out not to be the right thing to do. <laughs> okay. Context is everything. That's a nice way of uh, sort of uh, making uh, making it uh, more clear. Yeah, so we've, we've explored both sides of the topic. But uh, to bring it back to Father's Day and to bring Dad back into this, I just want to say Happy Father's Day, Dad. Thank you. And thank you for being the kind of dad that makes it 
a feminist Father's Day too. <laughs> Thank you. So that's my dad's story, or I should say, one of many, many, many of my dad's stories. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of what I think is a really sacred tradition of listening to the stories of our elders. And um, one of my favorite compliments I've gotten about making this show is that people say, you make me want to record my own family stories. And yes, please do. Uh, please share them with me. I love to listen to family stories. And um, I hope we inspire you to sophisticatedly speak up when you need to and also to tell your family stories. From our family to yours, I hope that this episode brings some fatherly wisdom into your day. And the way that we got Papa B to be on Advice for Mom is by promising him that I would tell you about a cause that he cares about very, very much. My dad is also a prostate cancer survivor, and it has changed his life. He actually spends a lot of his time now uh, going to health fairs and talking to other men about prostate cancer and the importance of getting checked. So if any of the men you love are over 40, remind them to get their PSA checked. All they have to do is let their doctor know it's as simple as a blood test, and it's the number two cancer killer of men, uh, and it's curable if they catch it early enough. So uh, that is your PSA on PSAs. Okay. Now time for a Father's Day update on the other father's story that we've shared with you here on Advice for Mom. And that is a story of my own adventures in mental health as I track down my once anonymous, now not so anonymous sperm donor from Philadelphia and back in 1983. As you may recall, that was episode 23, and thanks to a DNA test from 23andMe, and literally eight years of putting myself out there on the internet and asking lots of people if they knew who my biological father was, I got found by my newfound half-sister. It's kind of in a little bit of a tough place to give an update right now, but I want to learn out loud <laughs> as much as, as it is helpful to other people. And I hope I can be a good example, too. I think because I kind of announced <laughs> on the podcast that I, I needed therapy, I went out and I found somebody amazing. I found a really good therapist who, uh, believe it or not, kind of specializes in this, this certain subject. As uh, obscure as it might seem, she is the perfect person for me to talk to about this. So that's the good news. The bad news is that because we made this episode about the story, it kind of affected the story itself. Uh, and it really hurt that half-sister who found me. I certainly didn't mean it, it to hurt her. I, I guess I knew it was a possibility, but I was just so enthralled in the excitement of all of it. In, in the excitement of kind of knowing this new information that I thought putting out this episode would be kind of my way of showing her who I was. And she was being so generous with me about who she was. Uh, but that kind of backfired. So I'd also like to just take a moment to speak to that half-sister in case she's listening. I know you said you listen to the show sometimes, so if you're listening, hi. 
if you want to be part of a story about your dad, I can tell an update that includes you if you want, or I can just tell my story. So if you want to be involved, get in touch. If you don't, no pressure. (sighs) Okay. I guess lesson learned, but we're working on a bit of a longer story than that um, to give you a a bigger slice of the story pie. (laughs) But I still have to figure a few things out. But I, I just didn't want to keep you hanging. I at least wanted to let you know where things stand. And that I really do appreciate those of you who have reached out and shared your own experiences and also provided me comfort in a time that I presented really something vulnerable on a show that is supposed to make me look super cool. Yoy. <laughs> Speaking of super cool, you know what is super cool? My mom's advice. It is so cool. I started a podcast about it. And don't think I've forgotten that that is the core, that that is the real star of this show. Dr. Mama B, PhD, who comes around every week or so to that microphone of hers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and answers your questions. So if you would like to be one of the lucky listeners who gets some mental health advice from my mom, I would love to be the Sherpa of that advice for you. So yes, 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 we are taking questions for season three right now. Um, Actually, you could start writing your question as I speak. I don't mind. You can jot down. If you can do two things at once, go for it. Um, And we're collecting a lot of good advice. I can't, I feel like... um, well, I guess Oprah kind of has a, has a trademark on the Oprah moment, but I'm really hoping that this next batch of advice, we can provide some real Oprah moments for the people who get it. Um, so yeah, we are working on season three and we are collecting lots of good advice. So send your questions in at advicefrom.mom. And don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. In Father's Day tradition, we are going to have Papa B pick who sends in the best Apple podcast review this month. And I'm going to record him playing his banjo love song for technology transfer just for you. So a podcast made for one set of years. It could be yours if you indeed send in the best review. Yes, we are bribing you with banjo jingles. That's just how our show works. Jingles pay the bills and jingles make the bribes. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinle and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinle. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. Awesome storytelling by Jerome Saul Bortman. Assistant storytelling by Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman. Special kudos to Laura Bortman for taking Dad on a road trip for Father's Day. Our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. We're playing at Slim's this Saturday night. This recent uh, question that has come up about what do seniors do for fun? Oh, yeah. You mean your your prestigious uh, Wall Street Journal article, Mom? Yes. Yes. I, I, I try not to brag. But okay. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that there's a Wall Street Journal article about pickleball. You know, I'm excited that the most famous pickleball player, Elizabeth Skibinski-Bortman, is mentioned in the article. Um, But yeah, just in general, the sport getting its due desserts is just beautiful. (laughs) 
Well, that was a nice, nice underline, Rebecca. 